If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life, appear then, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thank you, Heather. That is God's word. Our series is titled, Put on the New Self. We started this last week, and that whole passage that Heather just read, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, is our focal point for the entire series. Last week, we started with verses 1 through 4, and we said our command from those verses was to, anybody remember? Put you on the spot. To set our minds on things that are above, that's right, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds there, which is, of course is in contrast to setting our minds on earthly things, okay, which all, of course, fade away. The next two sections of this uh, passage here in Colossians 3 are contrasting sections, verses 5 through 11, which where we will spend our time today are lists of things that we need to take off if we're putting on the new self, and then verses 12 through 17 are lists of things we need to put on if we're putting on the new self. So let's dive into this week's passage. Uh, Heather just read this, but for a good measure, we'll do it one more time. Verse 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? What we have here are two different lists of five, two lists of behaviors or actions that, that Paul says we need to be done with, and in each list comes with its a reason for, for being done with them, so we're going to tackle these lists one at a time if that's okay. So that's how we'll organize our time today. Uh, verse 5, he says, uh, starts with the command to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And my dad, I'm sure he didn't make this up, but he said, whenever you see the therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask what it's there for. And that's, uh, huh? so, no, some of y'all never heard that. So, therefore, this is basically coming from what we did last week, verses 1 through 4. If we are setting our minds on things that are above, then, therefore, we should put to death these things. This language is consistent with Paul's letter to the Romans where he says in chapter 8, verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, same language, the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in Romans 6, Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." We are to put to death the sin that's in our lives. We didn't put on this new self just so we could fall back into our old sin. That doesn't make any sense. Our minds are now set on things above, and it's time to put some of these things to death. So he's going to get a little specific here, and I know that we have a family worship and kids all in here, so we won't go into complete detail on all of these. Don't worry. Put to death, therefore, verse 5, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. One at a time. Sexual immorality. The word we see often in the New Testament is fornication. Let me be very clear. Are you with me? Everyone looking? This is anything sexual with anyone or anything or any whatever that is not your spouse. Am I clear enough on that? Do I need to go into further detail? Put it to death. It's time to be done with that stuff. Okay? Is that fair? Put it to death. It's the old self. We have a new self. Impurity. Next word. This, is, this whole idea is just morally unclean. Okay? A lot of these things are, these are behaviors that are, that are from the old self. And, and, and I know that they're there. I know they're there. If they weren't there, Paul wouldn't have written them here, okay? So this isn't about condemnation. This isn't about feeling awful about who you are. This is just about realizing that this is everyone has got these things. It was part of the old self. We're taking on the new self. Let's put them to death, okay? Passion. 
Now, this isn't the good kind of passion, okay? It's good to be passionate about your family, about your job, about the things you want to accomplish in life. There's nothing wrong with that. This, this passion is, is going along in line with the other things in this first list, okay? So I think you can know where we're going with this. And it's, it's this affliction of the mind. It's, it's a lustful compassion for things that are, that are not supposed to be wanted, okay? Evil desire. This evil desire is a longing for what is forbidden. Now, what do you mean by forbidden, Brian? Well, because we're not talking about the Old Testament law. There was lots of things forbidden, right, in, in, in the Old Testament law. And if you go and read those books, you will, you will learn about them all. But Paul said we're not under the law. But we are to live lives in accordance with God's character because we have been made in his image. And we are being conformed to the image of his son. And it just so happens that we serve a morally good God. Are you with me? Jesus didn't come to make sure we obeyed the Ten Commandments. The new covenant is new. It's better. But what did he say? Jesus said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so evil desire, this longing for things that are forbidden, is saying that I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, doesn't give us the right to just do whatever we want. No, we still live in line with who God is and his character because our new self comes from him. He's the creator of our new self. So it would only make sense if that new self looks like him and his son who we are being conformed to look like. Does that make sense? So, so this doesn't give us a right to just do whatever. No, of course, Paul said, do we just sin? No, 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 of course not. That's silly. We instead put on the new self along with its characteristics so that we can begin looking more and more like Christ. The next one in this list is covetousness. And, and he even adds this is basically equal to idolatry. This coveting, this longing to have more, man, it will destroy you. Okay, greediness for gain. Paul says it's equal to idolatry, idol worship, which, of course, um, God, the one true God, he doesn't like the idol worship very much. Okay, if you didn't know that, I'm letting you know now. When we, when we had this desire for more, Whatever, whatever the motivation is, if it's because we just want to please ourselves with more things or if we want to look better in front of a certain person or we want the things that other people have, these coveting things, it will, it will tear you up from the inside. You'll never have freedom from that until you put it to death. Okay, he says it's equal to idolatry. Why does he say that? It's because whenever we want that more, that more, that more, we're putting those things that we want more of above him. We're worshiping them. That's the number one thing. God said, there's no other gods but me. Worship no one else, no thing else. No. And you read the Old Testament and you think, why in the world would they worship this weird stuff? And he's looking at us from heaven right now saying, why in the world would they worship this weird stuff? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's time to put that stuff to death. So that's the first list of five things that we're to put to death. And he tells us why. In verse 6, look what it says in verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That doesn't sound, uh, you know, very good. That sounds pretty scary. Wrath, this, this punitive wrath of God is, is talking about the coming judgment on the day of the Lord where he will come back and judge the living and the dead. We know that it's true. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. Sin has to be punished. I mean, that's one thing that all theologians will agree with. Sin has to be punished somehow, some way. 
He is going to come back, and the sin of the world won't go unpunished. But if we have put on the new self, if our sin, past, present, future, has already been punished by God pouring out his wrath on his son Jesus in our substitution, then why would we continue to live in that old sin? Our sin has been punished. It's done. It's taken away. I mean, we're, we're like the, the child who has to be punished every single day for doing the same thing over and over again. And you're like, when are you going to get it? God is just looking at us saying, when are you going to get it? The punishment's already been laid out. It's been poured out on my son, Jesus. He took the wrath for you. So it's time to put these things to death. Paul then moves on to the next list of five. Let's look at verses seven and eight. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. You see the, the talk of past? He's assuming that we're done with this stuff, okay? It's time to put it away. This is the way you used to be, okay? And now we're moving on. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He gives us an extra one, too. He's telling us not to lie to each other. A lot of this is how we deal with one another. Sounds a lot like Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, where he said in chapter 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's go through this list. Number one is, is anger. I think we're all pretty familiar with that. Everyone's been angry at some time or another, haven't you? But he says, put this away. It doesn't belong in the new self. Apparently, we can be angry without sinning. It says that in the New Testament. But a lot of times, angry people would just like to hold on to that verse for an excuse to always be angry. But Paul here is saying, no, put it away. It belongs to the old self. Wrath. Now, this is a different word, wrath, than what we read about just a few verses earlier about God's wrath. This word is, is the idea of, of fits of rage and fury. It, it, even, it even means breathing hard. You know, it's a violent wrath. People, people that have that in them, it's time to put that away. That's part of the old self. Fits of rage and anger. You know, you are starting to see, you know, visions of when you get cut off in traffic or, or something like that, you know. Or, or even more seriously, you know, the way that we act to our children when they do make stupid mistakes. <laughs> we forget that we were children once, and, and we are to discipline, of course, but, but there's, no, there's no place in the home for fits of rage and anger and fury and, and that kind of thing. Does that make sense? So, so and, and it's, it's not always just men and women, so, but there's no place for that in the home. Sometimes we treat our spouses like that. We, that's when the old self starts to creep up. When you feel that bubbling inside of you and you get all hot and warm, it's time to just go somewhere and, and, and take a breath and remind yourself, that's the old self. That, those old mannerisms are characteristic of who I used to be. But I have the new self now. I'm putting it on. I'm seeking the things that are above. The next word is, is malice. This is just the desire to do evil things to other people. Why do we do that? I don't know if it makes us feel better if they suffer or, you know, we've had a bad week, so I feel better if someone else would have a bad week, even if I'm the one that makes them have a bad week. Malice. Put that away. 
Put that away. Love one another. Don't desire to do evil to one another. Be excited when someone else has something has good happen in their life. Sometimes we want things bad to happen because we're like, well, that's not fair. You know, no. I mean, if someone gets a bonus that you don't get, be happy for them. If someone... If someone gets a, a new car or a new spouse because they, you know, you're still single, no, don't, don't be upset for them. Be happy for them. If someone has the nicer home and you like going to their home because they got a swimming pool, don't be jealous of that and wish something bad would happen to their swimming pool. <laughs> Go over there and swim in the pool and be happy you got a friend that's got a swimming pool. Malice is the desire to do evil to others. Get away from that. Put it aside. Be done with that. Slander. Paul captures this idea really well in Ephesians 4 when he says, Let no corrupting talk come from your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't talk bad about one another. And, and for some reason, we, we can sometimes do this even in the church family. You know, sometimes we do this in our immediate families. We talk bad about our spouse when they're not around. Or, or, or we, we badmouth our parents to our friends at schools. No, don't, don't talk bad about another. Only, only talk that builds one another up, okay? The last one here in this list is obscene talk. I think you know what that means. There's nothing in the Bible that says don't say this word, this word, or this word. But we know what this means, obscene talk. Sometimes we, we use the excuse for not being under the law and being under grace to be able to just kind of use foul language when we want to, throw it here or there. Maybe it makes us sound passionate at a, about a certain thing, and, and we want the people we're talking to to know we're serious about it. So, so we just throw out a word here or there that's obscene. You know, sometimes we, we use obscene language because we're around a certain group of people and they use obscene language. And, and a lot of times, kids, that's how that stuff starts. I remember using bad language as a really young person because I would be around other people that did that. So I wanted to fit in and do that. Let me tell you, this is a really hard habit to break. So if you are using that foul language, it becomes a, a habit. It's It's habitual. And, and this, this, is, this is not a good thing, okay? So, obscene talk. Put it away. Put it away. That's the second list of five. And he tells us why. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to another, one another, seeing that, what? You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge at the, after the image of its creator. The reason we're to put these things away is because we've put on the new self. There's this decision to be made, okay? When you, when you trust in Christ, you, you are realizing that you are lost without him. You are realizing that there's no way you can save yourself. You've tried, you've worked hard, but you know that there's no assurance in your life for eternity. Are you with me? And you've made that decision. But now we continue to grow in that faith. We continue to grow in that, and we put away the old things, and we take on the new. And it doesn't happen overnight, you know, you hear great testimony stories of people that come to know Jesus and the very next day they're very brand new people. And that may happen to some, but for a lot of us, it's, it's a process. It's a process. But you have to put it on. You're different. You have changed and it's time to put away these things that were characteristic of your old self. Uh, this theology guy, N.T. Wright, says, many Christians tend to concentrate on one list or the other. One knows of Christian communities that would be appalled at the slightest sexual irregularity, 
but which are nests of malicious intrigue, backbiting, gossip, and bad temper. And conversely, of other groups where people are so concerned to live in untroubled harmony with each other that they will tolerate flagrant immorality. The gospel, however, leaves no room for behavior of either sort. Are you with me? It's time to put it all away. Not to be comfortable with things, not to be okay with them because we're used to them, because they're part of our old selves. We shouldn't be comfortable like that anymore. We should be the new self. We should be uncomfortable with those. We are better. New is better than the old. It's a new heart. It's even a new nature inside. I love what verse 10 says. It tells us that this new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. This word renewed means to to change from a carnal to a Christian life. It means to renovate. I don't know if you've ever renovated a home, but when you say the word renovate, it means Swap out everything that's old and replace it with new. Brooke and I did this once. We bought a home in Wildwood, and it took us four months before we could even move in. The renovation was so extensive. I mean, every floor, every wall, every cabinet, every countertop, every light fixture, all the appliances. You couldn't live there while the work was going on because it was a complete renovation. That's what we're talking about here. There There is this process of a complete renovation going on in our lives when we put on the new self. It means to increase in our faith and our hope and our love. It says that we're being renewed in knowledge. And this sounds an awful lot like Paul's encouragement to the Romans again. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. It says that we're being renewed in knowledge. Our mind is being renewed. What's Paul getting at here? How are we changed? And here we are again, right where we left off at the end of last week, aren't we? You are changed by God's word. If you're wondering why you're still struggling with sin, I believe, and I believe the Apostle Paul confirms, it's probably due to the quality of your Bible intake. If you have put on the new self, if you have moved from that past life to the new life, and you're still struggling in sin, I would be willing to bet that it has to do with the quality of your Bible intake. Some of that's not your fault. There's people out there that have told you you just need to read the Bible for one minute a day. There's actually a Bible called the One Minute Bible. (laughs) That's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. I mean, if you told your boss that you were going to get ready for that new promotion because you were going to study one minute every single day to be ready, what would he say to you? Uh, Well, thank you for your commitment to our business, but we're going to find someone who's willing to spend two, double your commitment. I mean, come on. You're not hearing, reading, and studying the Bible for the purpose of transforming your mind. For the purpose of being renewed in knowledge. We're hearing or reading and sometimes studying the Bible for the purpose of saying that we did it. Or for the purpose of knowing that we probably should. Or having these feelings like, I don't want to feel bad. Sometimes we do it to manipulate God, which is hilarious if I, if I read the Bible for 10 minutes every day this week, God will fix my financial problem next week. God's not manipulated. God has decided from eternity past how he's going to act and make decisions, okay? He's not fooled by us going, oh, well, maybe I'll be a really good Christian this week and next week something good will happen to me. No, 
See, we, we read and, and listen and study the Bible for all kinds of reasons, except the reasons that Paul is getting at for the transforming of our mind, the renewing of our mind. Well, if you were going to hear, read, and study the Bible for that purpose, would it look different than how you're doing it now? Then whatever that looks like in your mind, at least jump to that level. And then if you actually don't know where to start, then ask somebody. I want it to be a normal, uh, environmental, free zone here at Heritage to ask other people how to grow spiritually. Is that okay to say that? You don't have to feel bad about asking someone else, how can you grow spiritually? I think every one of us should be able to have the freedom to do that. And, And if we're that kind of church, wow, we will be growing together. We need one another to do this, okay? Your sanctification will take a huge hit if you ignore the word of God, I promise. 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of what? The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now salvation, we talked about this this spring. Justification is a one-time instant act. You are saved. You're either not saved or saved. So what's he talking about here? It says you are being saved. He's talking about our sanctification. It's a process. And he's, how are we doing it? If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. So if you want to grow and you want to continue growing and being sanctified, we have to hold fast to his word. There's a lot of other good stuff you can read out there. And it's good. And I'm not telling you not to read that stuff. But if you substitute this with anything else, you will not grow spiritually. And you will continue to live in the sin and the activities and the mannerisms of your old self. I promise. I promise, I've tried lots of ways to quit sinning, and it doesn't work that way. This whole talk in Colossians 3 comes from chapter 2 in verse 12, where Paul talks about Christians being buried with Christ in baptism. When we're buried with Christ in baptism, we have a new identity. You know when we say we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are being identified with the triune God, the one true God of the world. We are now a new identity. He has adopted us into his family. It's a completely new identity. And really, this is all about bringing our behavior in line with our new identity. You know, if, I have a great friend, John, and, and he adopted two children um, from Africa. Well, he found them in a not-so-great place in Africa, but when he adopted them, they took on new identity. Their, his last name's Williams. He's not related to me, but his name is John Williams. Their last name became Williams. It was a whole new identity. What it had made sense when they came to his home in Arizona to go outside in the desert and sleep on the ground in the dirt because that's how they were used to living? No. They have a new identity. Their last name is now Williams, and they live in his home, and they sleep on the bed that he provides for them. Our last name is new. New creation. New self. We have been identified with Christ through our baptism, and we ought to be living in a way that is uh, in line with that new identity. The last thing I want to say about this section in verse 10 is this, is that it says that we are being renewed. So this is some hope. Number one, again, this is not about condemnation or feeling bad. It says we are being renewed. Sanctification, unlike justification, is an ongoing process. When you are saved, you're saved immediately, but you're not immediately sanctified and cleaned and perfected into godliness. That's a process, and it says that we're being renewed. So I don't want you to focus on uh, the downward uh, times of your life where you're struggling, 
Okay, I want you to look, take a look, step back and look at where God has brought you from when he found you. If you zoom in on, on a graph of the S&P 500, you know, for a day or a week or two, it could look really bad and you could get really discouraged. It, it might look something like that, okay? And if, you're, if that's your money, you're thinking, okay, this is bad. Well, if this is your life and sin and you zoom in on a really bad week, you might think, okay, this is bad. I might as well just give up because... I can't handle this Christian life. But if you zoom out from the time of your birth uh, in Christ to now, hopefully it looks more like this. You know, that's the whole life of the S&P 500. You know, it's pretty good if you just put money in 1950. I don't know how I could do that. But if I could put some money there now, I would choose to do that. And if I even just left it alone, it would grow to, to a lot of money. I don't know um, all the details. I have to ask Randy about exactly the details of that. But I know that that is good, even though there's some bad times. And I know that in my life, since I have met Christ, I've been on this journey with him. And I look completely different now than I did 25 years ago. I was 15 years old when I received Christ in my heart as a, as a true believer, knowing that I was dead without him. And I'm 40 today. But I can tell you there was some... There were some really tough years even in there. You can ask Brooke. They were bad. Well, what does that mean? Did I lose my salvation? Was I no longer having the new self? No. No, that's not what it says. It just means that I wasn't growing um, in line with my new identity at that time. Well, over time, though, he's made me into a new person. And I will tell you 100% it is because of time in this word. I'm telling you, it, it, you, you can say, God, please, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. I'm trying to quit this sin. And you go good for like three or four days. And then all of a sudden you fall into it again. And you go, ah, this is never going to work. I'm so mad at myself. I, sh I should not even sing Sunday when I go to church to let God know how bad I feel about my sin. And then you, you go maybe a week or two or three or four. And then all of a sudden something happens and you fall back into the same sin again. And then you just think this is never going to end. And it doesn't just end immediately for any of us like that. Most of the time, it's just progress. And what happens really is you struggle and wrestle and struggle and wrestle with sin. And you, and you live in his word and you give yourself to prayer and you keep your eyes focused on things that are above. And one day you wake up and you realize, I don't even struggle with that same sin that I used to struggle with. Still got other sins that I'm dealing with, but it's just kind of gone away. Why? Because God has done the work in me, not me with my own effort. Effort, but him, he has done the work in me, and he has made me a new person. It's gradual, ups and downs, but growth is happening. It's a process. James Garfield, uh, he, he became president of the United States later, but before that he was principal of a college. And one of the fathers came and asked him, he said, is there any way that you could shorten your study so that my son could complete it you know, in less time? And, and Garfield says, certainly, but it all depends on what you want to make of your boy. When God wants to make an oak, he takes 100 years. When he wants to make a squash, he only needs two months. So depending on who we believe God wants us to be, it's going to take some time. You, can all, you don't just receive Jesus and then two weeks later, you know, you're this great Billy Graham guy. No, that comes from years and years in his word and, and, and communing with him. That your, your best marriage, your best year of marriage is not going to be your first year of marriage. If it is, your marriage probably didn't last, okay? You're, I didn't mean for that to be that funny. You know that's true. If your first year of marriage is your best, 
it's not your marriage, you're probably still not married. <laughs> Unless you've only been married a year. My, mine and Brooke's first year of marriage was great. But, but man, it's gotten better year after year. And I guarantee you, you find anyone in this room that's been married for more than 25 years, they'll tell you the same story. There's no way that you remain. And in our relationship with the Lord doesn't just happen and then all of a sudden we are the people God wants us to be. It takes time. He's making us into something. It's a process. It's going to take time. And although he does the work, there is some role that we have to play in our spiritual growth. And again, there's lots of good things you can do. Okay, and, and I'm not going to go over an exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines with you, even though you ought to begin practicing those things. But if I could just get you to do three things, it would be to keep your mind set on things above instead of on the earth. Spend time in God's word. Increase the quality of your Bible intake. And give yourselves to prayer. You know, a, a master gardener, he knows. You, you can't just weed the field. You have to seed it also. But you can't just do one or the other, or you just end up with a mess. If you just weed it and don't seed it, you have a lawn. That's not a garden. But if you seed it and don't weed it, you have a huge mess. And that's what Paul is talking about here this week and next week, is he's telling us you got to get these things out, put them to death, put them away, and then add these things on. So we're going to talk about next week. But before I end, let's look at this, this, this last verse. Verse 11, and here's our hope. Here, meaning where you've become now in this new self, there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It is by Christ alone that we are saved. It is by his precious blood that our sins are not only forgiven, but they are taken away. It is by Christ's substitutionary act on the cross that he took God's wrath and covered us from that wrath. It is by Christ alone that you grow in your godliness. Christ does the work. It is by Christ alone that we are saved, Christ alone that we grow in our faith, by Christ alone, all these things. If you have him, it says that he is all in all. If, he, if you have Christ and you are poor and homeless, you have everything you will ever need. If you are rich and have mansions and cars and everything that this world could ever want and you don't have Christ, you are lost forever and have nothing. Christ is all. Christ is all. You can be happy with right where you are if you have the new self because you have Christ. Now it's time for us to just begin to line up our behaviors with that new identity and put these other things to death. And we help one another do that. We do play some sort of role. And I don't know how exactly to get into percentages because I know he does the work. But, but man, we got to open this up. We got to learn how to read it and understand it. We got to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of it. Because when we do that, it helps us to put those things aside. I told you last week, he said, Jesus, when he was praying his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he says, Father, sanctify them, clean them, grow them in godliness in the truth your word is truth. It's his plan that we grow by studying and reading and hearing his word. That's the plan. So if we're, not, if we're not growing, if we're not changing, if we're still struggling in sin, I have to believe it's because we're not doing that. Okay? Okay? Let's see what the master gardener will do in our lives if we allow him the opportunity to work. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about the things to add on 
Don't miss, don't forget your Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your direction, for your leading us, for you not leaving us to our own vices, but, but you have given us this, this book, which is our, our guide for getting through this life, our guide for, for growing more uh, in, our, in the image of Christ. You are the one that is, that is transforming us. Give us a desire to fall in love with your word. Give us understanding as we read it and clean us and make us new. Father, we have put on the new self. We identify with you through our baptism. Now help us to put to death these things that are sometimes still hanging on, those things that are frustratingly hard to quit and to stop. We want to be that salt and the light of the world. When others look at us, we want them to see Christ. Continue your work in us, Father. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.